This week on The Business of Lifting Weights, we sit down with John Romanello, a New York Times bestselling author and owner of Roman Fitness Systems, to talk about writing and how to build a loyal following through creative writing techniques. Hello guys, this is Dave Thomas. And this is Brian Fritz. And we are back with episode 27 of the Business of Lifting Weights. Today we are real stoked. We are joined by guest John Romanello. What's up, John? Hey man, how are you? We are doing really well. Um, we're very excited to have John on today. He's going to talk about something that is really important in the fitness industry, and that is writing, stringing sentences together. Um, for the specifics of either people who own a gym or fitness professionals, whatever whatever line of fitness work you are in, uh, writing is certainly something that is important to get the message across. Absolutely. Um, so even an episode for non-fitness people, um, just how to write better in general and how to better communicate. Um, so really appreciate you coming on here, John. It's really my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Anytime I get to talk about uh, WordCraft, I'm excited. <laughs> Well, that gets us right into the introduction. Um, so usually we kind of save the um, the quote plug for the end, but um, for those of people who are listening, and if you have access to a computer or phone, go to John's website. It's romanfitnesssystems.com. That's going to kind of be the jump off point for today's discussion, um, and that'll just kind of give you an idea of the uniqueness of writing style that we are, are examining today. Um, I'll give you my background on John and then we'll have John kind of correct me in anything and fill in the gaps. But, um, first and foremost, John joins us as a New York times bestselling author. So credibility right away, as far as being able to get people to enjoy what you're reading, which we'll kind of get to that point in a little bit, but John's had a, a big background in fitness. Uh, when I first got into fitness seven, eight years ago, he was one of the first writers that I followed. I just immediately was drawn to his writing style. Um, very easy to digest the, the, the knowledge is there. And it's also just plain entertaining. Um, John's built his Roman fitness systems throughout the course of many years. Now to the point where I believe he has, um, according to the website, about a dozen full-time employees. Um, so if that is true, just think about those of you who are writing out there. Many of us hope to get people to just click on our article. Um, John has done a, so such a good enough job at that, that he has people to work now underneath him. So um, we really have somebody on today that really knows their shit when it comes to writing. And we're very excited to kind of dive into that and explore how we can get better at that. So John, fill in kind of what I missed and anything about yourself that uh, you'd like people to know. No, that's, um, <clears throat> you you covered quite a lot of it. Um, so I, I guess the background is, you know, I got started in, in fitness uh, sometime in 2001 or 2002, um, you know, I, I personally went through body transformation, fell in love with fitness. Um, I, uh, oh, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention this <clears throat> only cause it's relevant to writing. Um, but when I was at school, I, um, I went to an Ivy league university and I, I double majored in, um, English with a focus on, uh, creative writing and psychobiology. And then I minored in, in history with a, a focus on uh, American history and, and uh, to, to actually really the focus was on religious literature and to a lesser extent American history. So I graduated as uh, someone who was very interesting to talk to. I am a great conversationalist, but uh, highly, highly unemployable. 
Um, <laughs> and when I was in school studying all of these disparate things, I uh, I fell in love with fitness. And so when I when I graduated, um, and I was on track to become a professional student, um, and I guess go to grad school, and I, I God only knows from there. I started this personal training business after I graduated simply because I really loved fitness and I wanted to take a year off of school and I also wanted to have a job. And so I started the personal training company and, um, which was at the time Roman fitness systems. That is still the name of my brand. I know this was in the days before, like you immediately assumed that every, that every business had a website. Right, and right, right. so, um, I named my company Roman fitness systems cause it sounded cool. Never realizing that if people had to type that in as a URL, you would have to type fitness, which ends in two S's, then the word systems, which starts with an S then has a Y, then another S and ends <laughs> in an S. So the, so yeah, it really, it really, so I actually now own all of the domains for all of the various misspellings of that. That's, that's, um, that's they, awesome. and they all redirect. So you can, you can find it even if you can't spell. Um, but I, you know, I, I, part of the way I found fitness was cause I found some fitness writing that I really liked with T nation. And, and, uh, so when I was 20 years old, I got my first article published there. And, um, I've just been sort of writing ever since. So it's important to note that for me, I was a writer first. I'm a writer before I'm anything else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if it hadn't been fitness, it would have been something else. So I, I started writing when I was eight years old and, um, I got my first publication when I was, I think I was nine and I had this poem I wrote published for the school competition and that felt pretty cool. And then when I was like 14 or 15, I started writing like short stories for um, magazines like Dragon and Scry. These are the types of magazines where in the early and mid-90s, if you played Magic the Gathering, Scry magazine was a was the type of magazine where you could go in and learn how to build a really powerful Magic the Gathering deck. So that's the kind of nerdy shit that I was into. <laughs> it was like and so that, I wrote, the like, Magic short... Teen Nation for back then? Yeah, yeah. It was basically Teen Nation for Magic in 1996. <laughs> and I was a freshman in high school, and I got my first short story published there, and I was writing a lot of you know, like very fucking dorky, dragony short stories for, for these magazines. So I was always a writer. And so then when I found fitness, the way it became real to me is when I could start writing about it. And um, so I wrote my first article for Teen Nation in December of uh, 2002, and they paid me $300. And um, in college, I was like, great, now I can eat for another week and we'll go from there. Uh, so I was always a writer. And then I started training for a number of years and was doing some fitness modeling and a little acting and some other shit. And then 2009 came around and I brought the business online, by which I mean I started a blog. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, what I noticed is that all of the other people who wrote fitness blogs were really good at fitness, but really, really fucking terrible, like just (laughs) shit at writing. And I was like, why would you even do this? You need to write to communicate this information. Why would you not be good at writing? And it's, it was weird. And honestly, there were a few exceptions. Like some of my old friends, guys I knew from Teen Nation, very close friends of mine, guys like Joel Marion. Joel is a great writer uh, and has since become one of the top copywriters in the world. Um, Eric Cressy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this about Eric. Um, obviously if you guys know fitness at all, you know, Eric Cressy is one of the greatest coaches in the world. Eric and I have been friends since we're like 19 years old. Eric's mom is an English teacher. And so Eric grew up as a really, really effective writer. Um, he's also very productive. Eric, Eric's ability to churn out content is nothing short of mind blowing. Yeah. It's amazing. He's coming on the show uh, into this month, I believe too, actually. Awesome. Um, 
a little thing you guys could talk to Eric about. Uh, people don't really know this, but before he was in fitness, like Eric was an accounting major at Babson, and oh, right. <laughs> then he like fell in love with fitness, and so which is by the way was a very handy sort of like. Uh, um, you know, like accidental step on the path of Eric's life because he's really good with numbers. And, and he, while he was there, wound up meeting um, Pete Dupuy, who uh, it, it became like a business major and then was Eric's business partner in Cressy Performance. Right. So the fact that Eric like went for this accounting thing was this like sort of necessary step on Eric's journey and, and in business and allowed him to, you know, meet the person who would help him create the, the, the empire of the performance. So you, um, you yeah. talked about how you were a writer first and what about like, is there anything specific about fitness that you found that your talents just adapted to immediately? Um, that's hard because mm-hmm. again, keep in mind, I started writing about this shit in 2002. And mm-hmm. at the time, there weren't a lot of places you could do that. There was like magazines like Men's Health and Shape, but there weren't a lot of online places. There was Teen Nation and then a little later there was bodybuilding. So what I've always been very good at is mimicry. And and for me, it was very easy to get published on Teen Nation because I just read all of their articles and I was like, all right, I'll just write in their voice. And by being able to do that, by writing in that Teen Nation voice, they didn't have to do a lot of work to it. You know, they could just read it and be like, oh, it's perfect. It sounds like us. We'll put it on the site. And, um, but honestly, the thing from the very beginning is the fact that I didn't pull my punches. You know, right. it's amazing. Like fitness is this $9 billion a year industry. And everyone likes to use the catchphrase, like, look good naked. Okay, but why? Why do you want to look good naked? And nobody else seemed, in, in 2009 when I started, nobody else seemed to be willing to go the extra step and say, people want to look good naked so they can fuck. <laughs> nobody, nobody, everyone was just, like, tiptoeing around the fact that, like, people want to fuck. That's, like, this driving force for every single thing that's ever been done in human history. Like, any building that's ever been built, monuments, like people invent shit to impress people to get them to fuck them. That's like that's human history in a nutshell, right there. It's like there are two major things that spur advancement. That spur advancement. One is like wanting to get fucked, and the other is like war and and like conquering people, which ultimately is just a different way of fucking. So you know, nobody wanted to talk about that, and I and in two thousand nine, I was just like. Coming out and I was just like writing, you know, I would be like a, a fitness article, and then I, you know, I would, I would talk about like certain exercises. I'm like, yeah, front raises are pretty much are, are like kind of a useless exercise, mm-hmm. um, because like you can you can get everything out of that from an overhead press and blah blah blah. But I'm like, on the other hand, if you do a lot of front raises, the next time you like pick your girl up while you're fucking her and just like powerful, <laughs> like you'll be really good at that. Uh, so front raises are handy there, you know, like, like, you know, and, and for whatever reason, people responded very, very positively and very negatively to that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking stop. That's like, it's like what I'm here for. Yeah. I I think that, you know, in referencing how I talked about, you know, some of the the first fitness writers that I had come into contact with when I got into fitness, you were certainly one of them. Um, I also credit Tony Gentlecore with this as well. And it was just something that I had never really seen up until that point. And it's this, you know, everybody who writes about fitness, I feel like 
wants to sound very intelligent as to establish their own credibility on the exercise science front. But yeah, there's just so much of that. And when you're reading it, and this is my personal opinion as a consumer coming through, there's just nothing compelling to me about that. That doesn't keep my personal interest. Right. Um, I want to see a certain degree of relatability to it. I want to see how I, how I can apply it. And I want to see it not so kind of mechanical and serious. And I think that personally, um, that is one of the things that obviously I, I feel that you do a very good job of. I mean, if you just go, if you go to your website and if people are listening along and you look at the introductory copy, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to read this for a second just verbatim. Roman Fitness Systems was founded by the wise and powerful John Romanello in 1792. <laughs> in the course of his outlandish experiments designed for the reanimation of human corpses, he stumbled upon a formula for creating freakishly strong muscular and perhaps most importantly, upsettingly good-looking humans. That's just not how fitness professionals talk. So no. But just kind of discuss what that... Wrote, it is how people who wrote, like, dragon-based fantasy stories wrote, right? Yes. Talk. So, why, I mean, why do you think that that is, you know, why do you think that works? Um... So, so there's, a, there's a couple of things there, right? Like, there are some universal principles of writing of good writing and if you follow those like you can almost pull people along unwillingly like if you're a great writer if you can get people to read the first sentence they're like against their will they'll just keep reading because mm -hmm. you're so fucking good it's like i'm not interested in, in like talking about politics per se but i am interested in talking about politicians um as orators and it almost doesn't matter what your opinion of Barack Obama is, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you listen to that man talk, if if he can get you to listen to the first 10 seconds, that's it. You're fucked. You're that you're just listening for the next hour yep. because he's fucking amazing. He's one of the greatest orators of certainly of our lifetime. And there's something that great writers do uh, where they just pull you in. And um and sometimes it's like really cuz like listen, if you're at a fitness website and you read Roman Fitness Systems was founded in 1792. <laughs> something so ridiculous about that that you have no choice, right? Right. But to uh, but to keep reading, right? And 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 this is something that like um, great writers do. So so the first, you know, like if you just look at the first line of a lot of um, like really great novels. Like I can, I can recite some of them to you. Uh, the first line of Catcher in the Rye is, "If you really want to hear about it, you'll probably know, want to know where I was born and about my parents and all that David Copperfield kind of crap." Um, and so when you're reading this Buildings Roman, this coming of age tale, and that's the first sentence, and you realize like, oh, it's not going to be like the others. Mm -hmm. Like that's first of all, it's a well constructed sentence, and it pulls you in, and it's written in Holden's voice. And um, so you're, you're getting to know that this – so, OK, let me start again. By writing that sentence that way, J.D. Salinger is doing a few things. One, he's telling you that this is a first-person narrative story by, by using the word I. Mm -hmm. Two, he's telling you this isn't going to be like the others. And three, because it's a well-constructed sentence, he's telling you, like, I'm a good writer and you're about to get sucked in. <laughs> and, you know, when you read Catcher in the Rye um, – when you're in high school, you know, you, most of us read it when we're 14, 15, 16, you know, you, you are, you, everyone like falls in love with that book and you, you don't realize that the reason you're falling in love with that book is because it's incredibly well-written 
and because as a 15-year-old reading that book, Holden Caulfield is a very relatable character. And relatability is huge. It's what pulls people in and keeps them going. You go back and read Catcher in the Rye now, and it'll still be a very engaging book because it is incredibly um, incredibly well-written. But probably as an adult, you'll think what I thought when I reread it recently, which is like, Jesus Christ, Holden Caulfield is a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, Jesus, man. Like, he just he's such a whiny bitch. <laughs> God, like if like if you if you met that kid in real life, you'd be like, stop, just stop being what you're be, just stop it, holding Caulfield, just fucking relax. Like it's again, it's a great American novel, right? It's this novel, but he ultimately it's about a fucking kid who gets frustrated with his life and runs away mm-hmm. for three days and like like run and hides in New York City at a, at a time in history when you could afford to do that as a sixteen year old kid, um, and so. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, the 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 way that it works is like if you write something engaging and something outside the norm, then people um, they can't help but continue to read. Um, another great Salinger line. Um, I don't know if you guys do you guys read a lot of Salinger at all? No, no. All right. So um, I want to. I'm going to Google this so that. I think it's uh, – I want to give you the exact quote, but it's from a short story called A Girl I Knew. And the opening line of this um, of this story is – let me find it for you. Quote, she wasn't doing a thing that I could see except standing there on – except standing there leaning on the balcony railing holding the universe together. If you read that – and you don't wish you had written that, you'll never be a writer. That's it. It's, that's the test. If you are a man and you have been in love with a woman at some point in your life and you read the words, she wasn't doing a thing that I could see except standing there, leaning on the balcony railing, holding the universe together. That should make you feel two things at the same time. One, incredibly jealous that you didn't write that. And two, it should make you feel some sort of relatability because you've probably felt similarly about someone. And three, you'll probably be like write it down and be like, I can't wait to steal this and some way use it with, mm-hmm. with my, the person I'm in love with. That's the test for writing. If you can read that sentence and not be fucking like truly pissed off that it's not yours, you're not a writer. Go away. You're fucking done. Well, That's it. well. So my so question my- to you is, you know, and, and I just, I've read one of your articles. I forget which one it was, but the first sentence talked about like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, uh, I read the whole article because yes, that sucked me right in, um, sucker for Jean-Claude, but anybody can kind of put together a flashy sentence in a, in a fitness article and, yeah. and keep somebody to continue to read. You talk about relatability. Now, you know, you're obviously, you're an in-shape guy. How do you how do you maintain relatability um, throughout the course of the content of, of whatever you're writing about for fitness in a way that is appealing to I don't want to say everybody but somebody. Well, who... that's the, hold on, right? Let me stop you. The goal is not to appeal to everyone. You can't. The surest path to failure. I can't tell you the secret to success. This is another great quote. I cannot tell you the secret to success. But the secret to failure, the surest path to failure is in trying to please everyone. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Let me ask you a question. You've read a lot of my shit, right? Yeah. yeah. 
What kind of music do I listen to? Uh, you listen to a lot of emo stuff. How do you know that? Because <laughs> you talk about it a lot. Boom. That's relatability. Like I once wrote an entire article about uh, it was like right it was like Fourth of July, and I was like sitting there and I was getting ready to go out. So I wrote this like probably fifteen hundred two thousand word article about why you shouldn't drink and drive. And like, listen, it was just basically like, listen, be safe out there. Like, don't be an idiot, you moron. Like, we all know we shouldn't drink and drive. But um, it, it told the story of this tragic accident that happened on Long Island in 2006 where this girl, Katie Flynn, who was six years old at the time, uh, and her parents, they were coming home from a wedding and the six-year-old girl died. Um, it was this incredibly gruesome accident. Uh, and and actually, it, it like, it, it truly, truly, truly horrendous thing that happened on Long Island when I was living there. And, and that's where I'm from originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite band, Brand New, actually wrote a song about it called Limousine. And so my frame for writing like, hey, maybe you shouldn't drink and drive was to tell a story about a place that I'm from and include a video and a song for a band that I love. Now, the message everyone can get behind, don't drink and drive, don't go out there and accidentally kill someone. But you're getting to know about me and Long Island. You're getting to read this story that is incredibly well written because I'm a great writer. Or, and by the way, when I use the term like great writer, I don't mean it in the absolute sense. I'm not Hemingway. I'm not Patrick Rothfuss. I'm not Neil Gaiman. But for the standard of the fitness industry, like it's like me and six other people. Um, <laughs> I would agree. And and that's not ego. That is just like me being like at this point like honest enough to be objective and just say like most people are pretty terrible. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, so you know that I listen to brand new and, and dashboard and taking back Sunday because I put that shit out there both in my articles and, uh, emails, but also in my social media. And there's no way to distinguish those two from one another. They are indelibly intrinsically linked and to, you know, when, when people, uh, read one, they're bound to read the other. And and so you have to like figure out what works for you for where to put the stuff about the music that you like. But it, for me, definitely gets worked into my articles, but certainly takes up a big portion of my, uh, my social. You know, John, um, you know, you mentioned two things. Number one, that you used to mimic other people's writing style or T Nation style. Um, but also you have a very unique voice in yourself. Was there like a point in time that you just decided, fuck it, I'm going to be me. I'm going to write about the shit that I want to write about in my no, voice. No, I mean, that's, that's part and parcel, right? Like, listen, if you want to get published in a magazine, mimic their voice and sound like them. I never wrote on my blog sounding like T-Nation. Yeah. When I write for T-Nation, I sound like T-Nation. When I write for Men's Health, they sound like Men's Health. And those are all very different voices. For, like, developing your voice is something that just takes a lot of time. There's no way to do it but to do it, you know, like, and, and the more you do it, the more experience you get at it. And the more you live life, the more you explore, the more you experience, the more you figure out what your voice really sounds like. Um, if you were to, let me see, let me actually pull this up. Uh, let's see if I can find something that I wrote about this one time. Uh, okay. I can't. All right. Here's the thing. You guys are familiar with the British invasion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. British invasion, for those who don't know, is basically a phenomenon that occurred in the mid-1960s when all of a sudden all of these bands from England just sort of exploding in the United States. And this included bands that you may have heard of, like the Kinks, but also bands that you have definitely heard of, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. and the Who. Okay? 
if you were to listen to a 1964 song and you weren't familiar with their catalog, um, someone in 1963, 64 might've heard a song from the Beatles and a song from the Rolling Stones and assumed that it was the same band. You might not have been able to tell them apart. Same thing with the who, right? Mm -hmm. But as these bands went on and had very different experiences, they started to sound very differently. No person listening to a late seventies Beatles song and a late seventies uh, or mid seventies, actually before the Beatles broke up. Um, and, and, a, and a mid seventies Rolling Stone song would, would confuse those two bands. So the thing is, you you start out sounding like other people and 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 you but your voice is is the result of the sum total of your experiences and the experiences that that allow you to express that experience um in your own way and so you know like when you when you start you're going to sound like the people that you read but if you only read Tolkien you'll sound like Tolkien if you only read Hemingway you'll sound like Hemingway but if you read Hemingway and Campbell and Tolkien and Gaiman and, you know, uh, if you read all of these brilliant writers and you keep living your life and you keep writing about it and practicing your voice every day, then 10 years later, your voice will be the, the, the aggregate of those experiences. Right. Yeah. You know, you talked about how a couple of questions ago, how you follow very basic principles of writing. Um, first of which, obviously getting people to read the next sentence being relatable. Um, I want to kind of get back to some of those principles that you follow that just guide everything that you do, regardless of the topic. Are there any that carry over no matter what? Every article is a story in some way. All right. And a story has to have, um, a beginning, a written story has to have a beginning, a middle and an end, a story that you're telling through a visual medium, uh, like a movie you can do differently. Um, you know, you, you, you can start in the middle and then plunge headlong into the beginning and loop around to the end. Uh, or as I like to call it, you can Tarantino it. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't really do that with a written story. It's much harder and you have to be a, a phenomenally good storyteller to do it. Or a genius but, like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, but <laughs> even Quentin Tarantino, genius. like if Quentin Tarantino wrote his movies as stories, um, I don't know that Quentin is a good enough prosaic writer to allow them to make sense and still have the satisfying uh, feel that, that his movies have when certain loops are closed. Um, you know, I'm not saying Quentin isn't a genius. What I'm saying is that like, uh, I think everyone is a genius. And, and as Einstein said, but if you, if you judge a bird by its ability to climb a tree, it'll go its whole life thinking it's an idiot. Quentin is an amazing director and he's an unbelievable uh, talent in, in terms of telling his stories through that visual medium. And he's an unbelievable um, writer of dialogue. But uh, to, to say that he could write a book the same way Hemingway could and have it be as good is, is probably, and by the same token, Hemingway probably couldn't direct movies. Um, you know, everyone tells stories in, in their unique way. Right. But when you're writing a story, uh, I, I follow certain principles. Like I think it's really important that everyone who wants to be a great writer familiarize themselves with the works of Joseph Campbell um, who is most well known for his seminal work, uh, the hero with a thousand faces. So Campbell is known for, for popularizing the idea of the hero's journey or the monomyth. And it is a storytelling, um, pattern that emerges in, in everything. And, and it is basically, you know, it tells the story of, of uh, a singular character, a hero who goes through all of 
a, a very specific pattern of events and, and there's 17 stages in the original cycle of the hero's journey and it takes him through this emotional transformation and, and character transformation but also walks him along the actual physical adventure and and there are archetypes for this whether it's you know, King Arthur or Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter or Frodo or Daniel LaRusso. And, and then there's always the mentor figure. So whether it's Merlin or Dumbledore or Gandalf or, or, um, uh, uh, Obi-Wan or Mr. Miyagi or, or Morpheus from the matrix, like these are all archetypical characters. And so the hero goes through the, the steps of these journey. And I think that as a reader, this is how we need to consume information. So as a writer, even if you're writing a fitness article, you have to you have to take them through this journey, and it has to start in the ordinary world. So, you know, if you're reading an article about how to become a better squatter, where's the place that you're starting? Someone who's not as good at squatting as they would want to be, right? So, can you expand on that a little bit? Like, talk about these principles that you're talking about with all of these great writers that have nothing to do with fitness, and how yeah. you bring that type of intellect to a squat article to be able to make that stand out from the 10,000 results that are coming back and how to get better at squatting. Sure. Like so the what first are the specific thing, things that, that you're doing within that? Right. So the first thing that I would like you to do, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with the works of Joseph Campbell, I want you to do something for me. I want you to open up in your browser a window and I want you to search the words Romanello, R-O-M-A-N-I-E-L-L-O, my last name, and then I want you to search the term hero's journey. And what will come up is an article either on my site or on the Art of Manliness where I explain the hero's journey in depth. Um, it's about 3,000 words long. It is probably the most succinct introduction to Campbell and his work that you can find anywhere. Uh, my next book actually takes the hero's journey and applies it to personal development, so the more you can read there. So um, if you've done that, if you've pulled up in your browser um, my article on the hero's journey, uh, which is, I think, from from mythology to masculinity, I want you to hit pause now, and I want you to read that article. <laughs> okay. Welcome back. <laughs> so now that you've read that article and you have that in your head, what I, what, so it's important to know that you know the, the stages of the hero's journey – are, are pretty universal, right? The hero starts out in this ordinary world where, you know, it, it can be Harry Potter under the stairs or Dorothy on her farm in uh, in, in Kansas or uh, Frodo in the Shire or, or King Arthur being raised and, and not realizing that he is uh, actually the son of Uther Pendragon. It's, it's this hero being raised in not unenviable circumstances necessarily, but st uh, circumstances that, like, they're, they're, they're not where they're not happy and their destiny is not being fulfilled, right? So if you are a trainee, you are – every time you go – you're going to the gym because you believe that you can be something greater, whether that means it's stronger or leaner or better looking. But every single person who goes to the gym is trying to change in some way or trying to enact some change, right? So my entry point for an article on squatting is like if your ordinary world is you work – you go every day being this person who is not as good at squatting as they would like to be. Then here's this article is the call to adventure, which is stage two of the hero's journey, which is basically where you realize there's something greater out there that you have the capacity to be more. And the article also serves my voice serves as the mentor. So in that article, I will be your Obi-Wan and I will tell you these things. So I am writing to you as someone who is trying to teach you now my voice. 
it's very different than other people's voices, right? Like I am not, I'm not writing as this omnipotent narrator. I am not writing as this like super scientific, um, professor Mm -hmm. I'm writing is like, like, listen, I'm a guy who's been there and I've helped a bunch of other people. I can help you. And my advice also has like, listen, I'm going to fucking tell you how it is. You don't want to listen. Like, that's fine. Close the article. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I got other things to do. You know, I don't have to be here. And, um, But for me, it's about like taking them through the journey and it's very much like writing sales copy, right? Like you're starting in this place that you don't like and I am offering you this information that will allow you to get better and then you actually have to do the program, which is uh, in the hero's journey, the ordeal, and then you come back as the master of two worlds where you reconcile who you were with who you've become. and it's impossible to hit all, you know, 12 stages of the modified version or 17 stages of the original one within the context of a fitness article. But it's just having that frame that allows me to write things in a way that, like, pulls people through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my mastery of, of language and sentence structure and varying uh, word choice and, and, uh, and, and paragraph length and sentence length, all of that comes in. I think, I think that um, the tempo is this really, like, under discussed feature of writing but what do you mean by that <sighs> like do you try to write conversationally or or do you well i always write conversationally but whenever i'm leading up to a point um my sentences get a little bit shorter particularly if i'm trying to hammer a point home and they'll go from being you know like 15 words long to five words long to two words long and it's um what what would be a great example? Um, it'd, be, it'd be without seeing paper in front of me, it'd be difficult to do this. But it's sure. a, tempo is just a matter of like helping people get to a point. My probably um, you, are you guys familiar with Kerouac? Yeah. All right. So do you guys know? I mean, all right. Let, let me not ask you questions. Let me just state it. Um, so. For people who understand language, um, and and that's most of us, by the way, like I'm I'm not a visual artist, right? Um, But if you showed me a color, I could tell you if it was green. And if you showed me two different shades of green next to each other, I could tell you that they were different. That makes sense? And then um, if you put another color next to those shades of green, I could tell you whether or not those looked good together if they matched. Right. So like I'm not I'm not a visual artist and I'm not like, you know, I'm not not a a fashion expert, but I I can match my clothes when I get up in the morning and then I had to dress myself well. (laughs) So there are basic principles like when you look at someone, even though you couldn't tell why their suit looks good you can be like yo that suit looks it fits great could you specifically say it because it was tailored in a certain way no you don't have that knowledge but you know what looks good and what doesn't same thing with writing when people have grown up reading things as we do in the united states you have an innate understanding of what commas mean and semicolons mean and you understand how sentences are supposed to sound, even if you couldn't create it yourself, even if you can't explain why, you know these things, right? 
Um, so you're familiar with Jack Kerouac? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, let me see. So there's a line in um, On the Road. It's the most famous line in On the Road. Um, and I'm gonna. You, do you guys have your uh, your your Skype window open? Uh, no, no, you don't. Okay. I want to send you this because I want you to read it out loud. Um, open your Skype window so you can receive text. Okay. All right. I sent you the sentence. Do you see it? Uh, no. <laughs> it's, it's in the text window of this guy. Sorry. Sorry for listeners at home. Uh, you got it. All right. You got it. Okay. So here's the thing. I want you to look at the sentence. Don't read it yet. Just look at it, and you'll notice this is a run-on sentence. This is one sentence. It's a lot of words, right? So even if you don't personally identify as a writer, even if you don't understand where commas go, you understand what they mean, right? right. So I want you to read this sentence out loud exactly as the author is telling you to read it. Okay. The only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars, and in the middle you will see the blue center light pop and everyone goes, awe. Okay, so you did a couple of things there intrinsically every time you saw a comma you stopped right and what you'll notice is that Kerouac varies length a little bit and um and at the end that larger chunk so it's like uh the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing but burn 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 and then that's the la after that final word burn that's the last comma in the sentence and so what he's been doing is he's been giving you a comma here, a comma there, allowing you to to pause and take a breath every so often. And then he gives you this big chunk. It's like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And in the middle, you see the blue center light pop and everyone goes on. You don't get to pause and, and take a breath because he doesn't give you a comma. He is leading you in a very specific way that this sentence, if you understand English, and most of us intrinsically do, it must be read in a specific way. And that is tempo. First of all, it's one sentence. Mm -hmm. So again, it's the only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the sky. And in the middle, you see the blue center light pop, and everybody goes, aw. That is how that sentence is read if you follow the directions that are burned into your brain by English. So, so when, you are, when you are using punctuation to, uh, to dictate tempo, you vary things like how often you use commas and allow them to take a breath, how often you give them periods to separate thoughts. Um, let me see if I can find another... So while you're looking at that and assuming that, you know, let's assume for the sake of discussion that fitness professionals, somebody is smart and can reasonably form a sentence. What do you think the biggest mistake that you think 
kind of keeps people from getting their article to stand out a bit more? What's the most common thing that you see kind of um, aside from just a lack of grammar? Honestly, uh, that's a no storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's why. All right. So you mentioned Tony's earlier, right? Yeah. Tony Gentlecore. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that Tony's articles are so good is that he tells stories. Right. Like t- Tony likes to start his blogs in a very specific way. Right. I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you read Harry Potter? Uh, I have not. I have not either. Oh my God. You're terrible people. <laughs> I was actually uh, just thinking this morning, fuck, I got to get on that Harry Potter shit. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you in a minute why you should read Harry Potter, but I'm going to first talk about Tony. So, um, I won't relate it back to Harry Potter, so actually I will. Okay. So, for those of you out there who have read Harry Potter, how, every single Harry Potter book more or less starts the same way, right? And every single book starts in right around September when Harry's about to go to Hogwarts. And it always starts with like Harry in the Dursleys, and he is like still in um, uh, Surrey, England, before he goes off to you know take the train to Hogwarts, right? So it's it's a pretty reliable and comfortable thing. So it's like, oh, Harry's with his shitty family again. But 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 my point is that even though it's a little bit pedantic, Ra- uh, Rowling uses it as a way to familiarize you with the way that the story is told. Um, in that way. Tony is very much like J.K. Rowling because it's pretty reliable how Tony will start 30 to 40 percent of his articles. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's like, so I was in the gym the other day or I was talking to a client the other day. Tony frames it by let me tell you a story and set a scene. It's like I was doing this thing and this thought came to mind or I was working with a client who had this specific hitch in his deadlift and here's why that's relevant and here's how to fix it. Tony tell every single article is some sort of story. Mm-hmm. And that's important. That's why Tony's articles get read. He's also really good at working his personality in. He tells these jokes. Um, you know, he jokes about he he works in a lot of Star Wars references and all the and all the things that Tony likes. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you, you if you read Tony's articles, you know that uh, when he was working at Cressy Performance, there was always this sort of like you know, brotherly ball busting war about the different types of music they listen to. Right? <laughs> You know, and like one of them likes like I think Tony likes techno and, and Cressy likes like 90s or, or late 2000s, uh, early 2000s. Yeah, I, I know Tony's a techno guy. Yeah. So Tony likes EDM and, and Cressy likes hip hop. And but like how, how would I know that if I have never trained in Cressy performance? Right. How is it that even though Tony's not on this podcast and Eric's not on this podcast and you guys have probably never trained at Cressy performance and I haven't been there in years. I still know that Tony and Eric had a, a good brotherly rivalry about picking the music, and I somehow know that Tony is the techno guy and Eric is the rap guy. Right. That's good storytelling. That shit has fucking stuck with me because Tony has peppered it into enough of his fucking articles that I'll never forget it. Right. I literally, that will I will die. I will be on my deathbed, and I'm not sure that that will percolate to the top of my mind. But I guarantee you've did an inventory of my memories. Still be in there. <laughs> So let me let me just briefly segue to Harry Potter, okay? Um, it's very important that you read Harry Potter, not just the two of you, but anyone anyone listening to this podcast. And I don't care if you think it's a kids' book; it's not. It's incre- it's really really solid literature and storytelling. But here's why it's important to read Harry Potter. Have you guys seen Star Wars? Yeah, of course. Do you do you like Star Wars? I do. Yes. Do you think Star Wars is important? Um. 
No. Why not? I just, it's a movie, it's entertainment, I don't consider that important. Incorrect. Star Wars was released in 1977, and with that first movie, changed the movie business. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of the fact that before Star Wars came out in 97, before New Hope came out in 1997, science fiction was not considered a commercially viable genre? Right. Literally, they could not get financing for big science fiction movies. Okay? Fast forward 40 years. What are the biggest budget movies every single year? Yeah, it's the sci-fi Avatar stuff. Right? It's 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 without Star Wars, mm-hmm. there's no there's no Avengers. Right. It's all science fiction. It, 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 without Star Wars, there's no Lord of the Rings. That shit doesn't get made. Yeah, Not only true. did did Star Wars First of all, Star Wars is a perfect retelling of, of the Cambellian story arc, it, it, you know, that's been told and retold a thousand times. Um, it also made the careers of a lot of actors. I mean, it's still, we're 40 years later, we're still obsessed with it. We're making new movies. You're going to tell me that this isn't important from a cultural standpoint? Well, see, there you go. You set parameters on cultural standpoint. I'll give you that. The, oh, right, all right, then, all right, what, let me ask you a question. Is the Mona Lisa important? <laughs> this is a rabbit hole that I just no like I'm this is like, like okay if if Star Wars isn't important what is and forget culture just like I'd, I'd be curious to know what your actual opinion is if Star Wars isn't important what is yeah I, I understand the point you're trying to make if if Star Wars isn't important then nothing is important <laughs> and I and I mean that in a very real way because if you're gonna say this this story that has captivated people for forty years. And has and has created literally billions of dollars in revenue, billions upon right. billions, like tens of billions of dollars in revenue in merchandising and licensing rights. The fact that like that that Lucas Arts was sold to Disney for for literally three point four billion dollars, billions and billions of dollars in revenue. How do we judge what's important if not for that? Let me ask you a question. Um, either of you married? Have a serious girlfriend? Yeah, serious girlfriends. Okay. Has your girlfriend seen Star Wars? Uh, I don't believe so. Mine has. All right. Okay. So, so whose hasn't? I'm sorry. I'm getting your voices confused. Dave, mine hasn't. Right. Dave, your your girlfriend has not seen Star Wars. That's if you showed her a picture of Darth Vader, would she know who that was? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let me ask you a question. If you asked her who Luke Skywalker's father was, would she know the answer to that question? Fifty-fifty. Right. So, so my point is that you it's really difficult to operate in society without an understanding a, a working knowledge of pop culture mm-hmm. right it's hard to be a writer like it's it, like you guys train clients before right yep yeah what is what is monday morning every monday morning client is like so would you do this weekend if you didn't see a fucking movie this week listen if you don't watch game of thrones and all of your clients do not watching game of thrones is literally costing you money <laughs> That's because a great it point. gives you something to bond with your clients over. Right. Right. Like when I, when I was training clients full time during football season, every single Monday, I knew that I was going to have a 10 minute conversation with every one of my clients about that. Like, doesn't matter if you don't like football, you got to watch fucking football. Right. Right. So when Harry Potter comes along, there's a couple of important things to know. One, if you consider yourself a cultured person, and something, a piece of media, like a book series or a movie or something, 
comes along and immediately becomes part of the zeitgeist, you have a responsibility to know about that. Secondly, Harry Potter is not just a great story. Like Star Wars, which proved science fiction was a commercially viable genre, Harry Potter proved to the publishing world, which by the way is like the fourth oldest industry in the world, Harry Potter proved to the publishing world that young adult fiction was a commercially viable genre. And after Harry Potter, there came the Percy Jacksons, there came Twilights, which begat Fifty Shades of Grey. In a very real way, nearly every book for children that has been published since Harry Potter is directly influenced by it. And most importantly, one boy wizard, one 10-year-old boy wizard, with the publication of the original Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, within three years, you began to see this massive change in something. For 30 years, three fucking decades leading up to the publication of Harry Potter, you see a consistent year-over-year decline in voluntary reading in children. Mm -hmm. And then that book comes out, and within three years, it begins to fucking hockey stick. And now kids love to read. It single-handedly reversed a trend of kids not fucking reading. If you don't think that's culturally important... We don't have anything to talk about. So do you think that that all boils down to relatability? It all boils down to storytelling. It's a well-told story and it came at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think the foundation for that storytelling and do you think the, you know, at the end of the day, what would you attribute to the popularity of that? Do you think it's relatability? What do you I think, think I think it's, re- it's relatability. It's wish fulfillment, right? So here's the interesting thing about Harry Potter. And, 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 and this is very, very interesting. Uh, and I don't know of any other book series that's done that. Harry Potter is the only, it's seven books long. It is the only book series that I'm aware of that literally aged with its readers. Right. And also its story, it, it, it's, its characters, right? So when Harry goes to Hogwarts, year one, he's 10 years old. Uh, or 11, I think it is. And then by the time that it finishes, he's 18. So he's gone through the end of his adolescence. He's gone through puberty in his teenage years. And now he's like finishing as a man. And so every year, something Rowling does something that's incredibly interesting. And, and as a writer, unbelievably difficult to do. These stories and the themes mature, but so does the writing style. Like if you read the first Harry Potter book, it's written like a children's book. Mm-hmm. And then you read the seventh one and it's like it's a fucking 800 page novel and it's written for adults. Mm -hmm. And so Rowling did something really incredible where she was able to age her prose alongside her um, her hero, who for the most part is you're learning things as Harry learns them. It's like a like a three fourths narrator. And uh, but also with her readers. Right. And that's this incredible thing that is, is so interesting. So I think, yeah, relatability is is hugely important right because when um when when those books started coming out like if you started reading harry potter when you were 11 uh and then you know the fifth one the order of the phoenix comes out about seven years later now you know it's harry is very angsty and he's like going through all these like changes and he's kind of an asshole to the people around him you have the ability to relate to what that was like as a kid it's got a lot of relatable characters and but it's a brilliantly told story and she Listen, honestly, I consider myself an intelligent person. I consider myself really, really uh, 
well versed in uh, literature and storytelling and, uh-huh. and pop- <laughs> but I no no but seriously like but but be, d- despite all of the qualifications I have to speak intelligently about this I simply find myself incapable of of picking apart and giving you the exact reasons for the magic behind Harry Potter and I think if I could do that it it might destroy that magic so right. I just honestly I recommend like man to man writer to writer that you just that you guys like read it it's really incredible stuff and it's it's uh, i i you know believe that uh a hundred years from now when when we're all dead harry ron and hermione will still have a place on the shelf next to sam and frodo next to tom and huck you know uh, next to all of these other characters that that we know and love um and that's something special and and like i don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to experience that well john let me ask you kind of in closing here we're coming up on an hour is you know, to kind of redirect that, why, you know, if you can, as best you can, narrow it down to possibly, possibly one thing, I guess a two-part question, what do you think specifically has made you so successful, and mm. what do you think that people can do to implement better success for their own writing, sure. assuming, okay. you know, you obviously have the, the, the classically trained educational background with with literature and with writing, you know, most people don't have that. What can they take from you dumbed down to improve what they produce? First of all, read more. Mm-hmm. Second of all, find something that you like and copy it by hand. Find a piece of writing that you like, a passage, a short story, and copy it by hand. Like literally get out a pen and a piece of paper and write word for word, sentence for sentence, paragraph for paragraph, period for period exactly what you love and what that will do is it retrains your brain to write that way and it gets you out of like writing in abbreviated unpunctuated sentences that you send in text messages every day right and it it trains you how to write correctly and in the voice that you like um but i i really i really think that you just need to read more and um there's a couple of like really really great books on uh, i i'm gonna you guys do show notes for this right yeah yeah all right, I'm going to send you guys a link um, and that you can put in the show notes. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's an Amazon list I put together called uh, Roman's Writing Resources. And it's, uh, it's like 14, I think, books. Uh, and I'll, I'm texting it in Skype right there for you. Um, and it, it's like 12 or 13 or 14 books that have been very, very helpful for me in, in getting better at writing. But here's the thing. The keys to great writing – uh, in the fitness industry, one stop using exclamation points. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is that fucking exciting. Stop it. Um, stop doing the pedantic. T- stop taking the easy road when you're trying to introduce a topic. Don't say things like, "And that's why I do zercher squats." And then ask, "What's a zercher squat?" I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Don't do that. Don't ask a rhetorical question and then answer it yourself. That is lazy and it is bullshit. Instead, just find a creative way to introduce Zercher squats. Just say, if you're looking for like a really great squat challenge that is going to fuck up your elbows, Zercher squats are the way to go. (laughs) Or whatever. Or whatever it is you believe are greater or worthwhile about Zercher squats, just type that fucking sentence. Don't ask. Don't ask that question. That is lame. And it was like I did it in 2009 and I didn't realize how stupid and lazy it was. 
And like, honestly, if I go back and read my writing and I see that I edit it immediately because it's fucking embarrassing. I just, uh, this whole time you've been talking, I've literally just been doing a scan of recent stuff I put on the website and like, <laughs> trying to think if I did that. Pretty sure I did. <laughs> so fewer exclamation points. Oh, also learn the difference between there, there, and there. Uh, learn the difference between less and fewer. Um, uh, Squat less often, do fewer squats. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, tell stories. Break up your paragraphs more. Uh, and be relatable. Man, talk about the shit that you like. That's mm -hmm. important. You know, like, you guys know what kind of listen music I listen to. You know, it's right on the homepage. You guys know I, I have a penchant for anal sex. It's literally on the homepage. <laughs> um I mean, like, seriously, like, I want, I want you to actually think about that, right? Yeah, it's yeah. literally on my website. By putting that on my website, like, you guys know two things about me for sure, looking at my website. You know I'm married, and you know that I like anal sex. So <laughs> with those two facts, if you guys do math, you basically are aware of the fact that I fuck my wife in the ass. Now, that's a very <laughs> personal fucking fact that you guys just walk around knowing about me because I'm willing to put that shit on the internet. Right. I wrote a 7,000-word piece on my struggle with depression and suicide. Mm -hmm. Like, putting that shit out there is scary. You guys know when I, I have anal sex with my wife, doesn't fucking, it doesn't phase me. Mm -hmm. Was there, so my, I mean, was that hard for you to get used to? Was that a hard process? Or were one day you just like, you know what, I'm gonna do this? No, you, it's a process. You start out by sharing, hey, when I was a kid, I played Dungeons and Dragons and I had a level nine paladin, but it, like, I, I didn't go out one Saturday night, uh, like the first two years of high school, because I was busy rolling 20-sided dice and you know that really impeded my ability to get my dick sucked in, in high school. <laughs> like, you don't have to write that sentence. You just say, "Hey, I didn't go out a lot in junior high because I was playing Dungeons and Dragons," and that's sort of embarrassing to admit. And then a couple of people hit you up and they're like, "Yo, I used to play D and D, man. I was, you know, I had a dwarven cleric. That's really cool." And then the next thing you put out, you're just like, "Hey, man, like I, I really love fucking. Da I've never gone to a dashboard confessional show and not cried." <laughs> and that can be a little embarrassing, and then you get a couple of people saying things like, "Dude, I fucking love Dashboard." A Mark Commissioner right. Brandon Starr is still my all-time favorite album, and and you realize that you're not alone in any of this, and you start out putting out a few little crumbs about yourself, you know, like, um, here, uh, let's do it now. You guys are gonna tell me some really personal shit that your readers don't know about you. Okay, Dave, yeah. uh, how old were you the I'm first just, time? You I'm just not. <laughs> no, Dave, how old were you the first time you masturbated? Uh, young. Yeah. Like, how how young? <laughs> I don't know, man. Probably like 14. Don't fucking lie to me. I know it was 12. Don't lie. It's <laughs> not young. I was 11. Okay. Let's. All right. Serious talk. Um, have you ever? Has anyone ever walked in on you having sex? Either of you? No. Uh, I don't think so. Really? Wow. That's yeah. surprising. My point is, get comfortable sharing this stuff. What's um? Yeah. So that's you know is when. You know, I guess to the final takeaway for me with that with that sharing stuff is, you know, you made a great point earlier on how you don't care about appealing to everybody. So you're essentially taking this crowd of a large number of readers and you're almost kind of intentionally calling the hurt. Exactly. You're intentionally kind of trimming the fat and you want to know who your people are who basically, you know, right. for lack of a more eloquent term are like your friends and yeah. then anything that you share becomes totally comfortable because you know you've established your readers and you're not just this kind of lost voice bouncing around trying right. to get the, both, the, the best of both worlds but end up getting the worst of them. Right. 
so what it comes down to is you share a little bit about yourself and it's scary. And then later you share more and you share more. And then again, I've been writing about this stuff since, you know, uh, 2002, but I've been, I've been running a blog since 2009. So let's call it now eight years, seven years, really. Um, and over that time I've slowly revealed more and more about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, in 2015, I was like, I'm going to write this article about, or 2016 or whatever, I was going to write this article about my struggle with depression. And I was pretty fucking graphic in there. I, you know, I like, I mean, you know, my, my last suicide attempt was, uh, was New Year's Eve, um, 2014 into 15. And I, you know, fucking got a room at the Standard Hotel and, uh, you know, just fucking down to half a bottle of Percocet and a bottle of, uh, Jack Daniels and I tried to fucking kill myself. I just could, couldn't take life anymore, and uh, that didn't work out uh, in the sense that it was not a successful suicide attempt. But obviously, it's worked out since we're here today. But like, I, I could even if that had happened, you know, I could not have possibly shared that in 2010. It took me a really, really, really long time mm-hmm. um, to get to the point where I was comfortable doing that. But you know, you start off putting a little tidbit out there, uh, you know, and, and it can be anything. It could be like, you know, maybe, maybe you're embarrassed about the type of music you like, you know, like, and, and some people think that I should be embarrassed about emo, but I'm not. Cause I personally believe that brand new is the greatest indie rock band of all time. Um, uh, and maybe, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're embarrassed about the fact that you were a nerd in high school and, and that used to be embarrassing to me. I used to, you know, when I went to college, I wasn't about to fucking tell it all of these people like, oh, yeah, I was a nerd. I wanted to start new, you know, that. And, and when you start putting shit out on the Internet, you 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 have the opportunity to, to uh, people only know what you tell them. So if you're only putting out like, hey, I had this fucking deadlift PR of 600 pounds uh, and, you know, like, hey, here's a picture of me at 6 percent body fat, you know, and you're not sharing this stuff when you're fat or when you, you know, blow out one of your hamstrings or if you're only putting stuff about being perfect out there, you're never going to feel comfortable sharing the real shit. And guess what? That's what people want. I get, I've written a lot of great fitness information over the years, boys. I've written eight eBooks, a bestseller, and I get more fucking emails about that depression article than anything else. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's like the relatability that you establish on one end, you know, and whether or not it's intentional or not, that, that creates a sense of loyalty. That's going to make people consume other aspects of what you write as well. Exactly. So, you know, my advice to the young writers out there is pepper in some stuff about what you like, you know, if you and also what you don't like. Uh, You know, I I would probably advise most of you uh, to stay away from the political shit uh, if if you can. If you know, it's it's, right. Listen, it's a hard time right now. (laughs) Um, Things are right. Depending on your point of view, things are either going real, real well or fucking terrible. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot of in the middle, you know. It's not right. like, you know, it's not like fucking 2006 where you could be like, ah, for the most part, things seem okay. Right. Um, no, it's either you know, in 2017, you're either fucking doing backflips and think it's amazing, or you're you think the, the apocalypse is imminent. Um, so don't talk about that shit probably, but talk about your fucking parents. Talk about the music you like. Talk about the books you read and the movies that you see. And, uh, you know, like the embarrassing shit that happened to you when you were 13. You know, I remember, dude, I was fucking, I, I, I was, uh, 17 and my mom didn't even walk in on me having sex. That would have been less embarrassing. She walked in on me. 
on my fucking knees, like with my girlfriend's legs in the air, fully going down on her. Like, you think that like walk getting someone walking in on you fucking someone is embarrassing? No, walking in on like going down on your girlfriend, like, and it's your mom. That's real. That shit is like burned into my memory forever. But you know, now it's fucking however many years later, and I could openly talk about it because one, I don't give a shit, and two, uh, you know, it's not as scary as the other stuff. So you just. Fucking put shit out. I, I really want you to do this. Guys, tell me one embarrassing thing about yourself. <laughs> tell your readers. It doesn't have to be sexual. I won't go crazy. Just give me something that you haven't shared with these guys before because this is the re- this is the real shit. You ask these questions and you want your listeners to go out and write shit and, you, and actually take my advice. I need you to take it first. Give me something. I mean, for me, I, mean, I would say uh, girly drinks are just like the, the most amazing thing in the world. I fucking hate beer and I love girly drinks. Sweet. Okay. Like what? Mimosas. Mimosas is a great drink. Mimosas at night. At night? Really? That's like a... All day. All day. Cool. Okay. Um, So the mimosa is champagne and uh, and orange juice. Do you do like a... Do you do like a screwdriver? Oh, yeah. All right. So you like... So you like flavor orange juice. I, um... Yeah, that's great. That's it. All right. That's I, I'm. I don't drink beer either. I do, and and if you haven't tried it, I do recommend cider. Um, oh, yeah. Like an angry orchard or a, or a strongbow is delicious. Um, <laughs> I agree. Uh, all right. Good. This is great. Okay. Next. Um, man, that's really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, I would say that for me. Um, I don't know. Uh, okay, here's one. I like without fail every single time when Forrest Gump finds out that he has a kid and that his kid isn't like special like him. Oh, I, I, I cry every time. <laughs> weep openly every single time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's a powerful scene. That whole movie, man. Yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. Yeah. That's a great scene. Just oh god. John, who, John, who's your favorite fictional character? On um, my. Ooh, this is good. Okay, my all-time favorite fictional character. Um, fuck. I mean, I, I, I really, I really like Obi Wan Kenobi. I really, I really am a big fan. Okay. Um, you have a, a preference on which Obi Wan? I mean, like, I, as far as like the gravitas of the uh, and the setting, I really, I do enjoy the the original trilogy. But honestly, I I believe that Ewan McGregor was the only positive thing about the original trilogy. I think yeah. he killed. I, yeah, I, I, I like young Obi Wan a lot. He slays that Obi Wan. Yeah, and and I think uh, I really, I think I'd like to party with Han Solo. I think we'd get along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Harrison Ford still would. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, if you guys are Game of Thrones fans, I I really I have this fantasy where I would like to party both with Khal Drogo and Robert Baratheon. I feel like that would be Fuck like a, that would be incredible. Yeah, that would be that would be wild. <laughs> um, I'm gonna you know what I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with you guys now, and then I'm actually gonna write it up and share it on Facebook because it's a good story. Can I tell you guys the story of why I drink whiskey? Sure. All right, so I didn't drink alcohol. Um, even socially, uh, until I was like 26 years old, I just never did. And then I started getting into it. Um, and so it's like 26 years old and I was trying to think, like find the, the drink for me as, as you've gone through and you found your mimosas and screwdrivers. So I tried beer, hated it. Ciders were good. And then, um, I was trying to like find a spirit that I liked, like which hard liquor is, is good for me. And, uh, obviously when you start drinking, none of them taste good. They're all fucking terrible. (laughs) 
And so I got a little bit into rum, and uh, but uh, and and I but I was mostly drinking vodka. And I, at the time, I was dating this girl. Um, so I was 20, 26 years old, 26, 27. And so that would be, uh, yeah, I guess like 2008. Um, and uh, this chick watched a show that you may have heard of, and it was called The Vampire Diaries. Mm -hmm. yep. All right, so Vampire Diaries – uh, so obviously, if your girlfriend watches the Vampire Diaries, you watch the Vampire Diaries. And so I got like really into the fucking Vampire Diaries because she, we were watching it all the time because she was binging the first two seasons. So we're watching the Vampire Diaries, and at the same time that that Vampire Diaries is being poured into my brain uh, to the tune of like three episodes a night, I'm also trying to find a liquor that I like, and um, and the characters on Vampire Diaries all drink bourbon. And they always – and, like, they're fucking vampires, so they're wearing, like, leather jackets and they're badass. And, like, the one, like, quote-unquote evil brother, Damon Salvatore, he just is such, like, a fucking badass. And he was always walking around drinking whiskey. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to be a whiskey guy because Damon Salvatore on the fucking Vampire Diaries drank bourbon. So I started drinking bourbon because he looked so cool walking around with a glass full of brown liquor. And I was like, that's, that's not I if mean, I'm an alcohol guy, I'm going to be a bourbon guy because of Damon Salvatore. And like, I've never told anyone that story before. No <laughs> one and so I'm going to write it on Facebook, but I, I want you guys to be the first to hear me tell it live. The awesome. reason I drink bourbon is because of the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> yeah, and like fast forward to that 10 or 15 years <laughs> later, that's probably like Don Draper's contributing to that. Yeah. I mean, I have like four or five friends that absolutely picked up drinking whiskey on the rocks just specifically because of that show. Mad Men. Yeah. He looked like, yeah, Don Draper just looked like a straight up badass. Yeah. Um, well, John, listen, so, really, really appreciate it, man. Um, I feel like we could ask you stuff about writing and storytelling for at least another hour. Um, but we want to kind of get you out of here on a, on a, on a topic that, Hopefully you can speak a little bit about, um, obviously you have your, your first book that's already been out. It's a bestseller. If you want to chat a little bit about that, great. Um, if not, you know, what do you have in store for the second? Oh man, honestly, I just, I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause I just hope I finish it before I die. It's like <laughs> slower going than I, uh, I hope. And, and, um, so what I'll, what I'll leave you with is this, um, so first of all, thank you. I know I know we've gone uh, over on time, and I do appreciate you you listening to me ramble. Um, what I will say is this: uh, I I think it's it's really important to um, consume media if you're going to be part of the world. I think that all of those people who tell you like not to drink things or or not to like you know watch TV or or you know. What or or I don't know, and everyone's always telling you to just read business books. Those people are fucked. They don't know what they're talking about. Now, watch great stories, like consume great stories. And you know what? Shout out to the Vampire Diaries. That show that's been eight seasons of pretty good fucking TV uh, <laughs> that I still watch to this day. And but I mean, you know, like watch, read Harry Potter and read fiction and and just like don't get caught up reading business books. Like yeah, read some nonfiction books, but like do you do you really need to? read another internet millionaire's business book about how he became an internet millionaire. No, read a book about like how to be a better writer and then read a book written by a great writer and then sit down and write some shit. Mm -hmm. And that's it, man. Like there's nothing that I, I, I believe that there's a lot of, 
there are a lot of things that can't be taught, but nothing that can't be learned. And learning things without being taught just is a matter of slogging through some shit and just putting yourself out there and like fucking learning. Um, so do it, man. Just start fucking writing. You want to write? Write. Love it. All right, guys. Awesome, thank you so dude. much for your time. Thank you for having me, man. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. And I think um, definitely, a, definitely a lot of stuff to take away from it. And really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your knowledge in speaking about uh, pretty much everything here today. And hopefully that people can take away at least some very ba- some very solid basics on how how to get better at this stuff. So really appreciate it, John. And thanks a lot. You got it, man. Thank you so much. Talk to you guys soon. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, make sure you rate us five stars on iTunes. And if you have any questions or ideas, topics for future episodes, uh, you can always email me at brian at perform-360.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Till next time.